You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Dolomite Is My Name. Hey, you know, Auntie, I was thinking about putting out a comedy record. Comedy? You've been a singer, a shake dancer? Ha! It's real hard to break in. I do whatever it takes to get in. I come up with a new character. Dolomite is my name, and fucking up motherfuckers is my game. your hair. You look like a pimp. It's all pretend. I just created a character. <laughs> you a true. Pull on that. Oh, that's oh, a wig. Yeah, that's right. Whatever it takes, I'm ready to do it. I got to be totally outrageous. It's filthy. You've got a product here that you can't sell or promote. All my life, people been telling me no. Brody. Sometimes our dreams just don't come true. A man slam a door in my face. I just find another dope. I want the world to know I exist. You can write. This ain't funny. And it ain't no brothers in it either. If I get up in that light with my own movie, I could be everywhere all at once. Let's bring Dolomite to the screen. The actors we hire, you're a bit doughier than them. Doughier? Hey, that's Durban Martin. I'm offering you a role in my new motion picture. You think you could just walk up here and hire me? No. What if we let you direct? In storytelling, it's always best to write what you know. You ain't nothing to talk about in my personal life. I deal with the nightlife, club owners and mobsters and lots of pimps and kung fu. <laughs> Do you know karate? No, but I'm a fast learner. I can learn how to chop me a motherfucker. Action. Give it to me. Put your weight on it. <laughs> Pretending like he could be a sex machine. What planet is this cat on? Damn! This thing flops, you're gonna be working for free for the rest of your life. I'm so grateful for what you did for me. Cause I never seen nobody that looks like me. Oh yeah! Up there on that big screen. God damn, Dolomite. Great God in heaven, you know I Cut. Was it good as shave? All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Dolomite Is My Name. And the story is as follows. The story of performer Rudy Ray Moore, who assumed the role of an iconic pimp named Dolomite during the 1970s. The film is starring Eddie Murphy, Keegan-Michael Key, Mike Epps, Craig Robinson, Titus Burgess, Devine Joy Randolph, and Wesley Snipes. It is directed by Craig Brewer and written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. Join me for this podcast review. I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Lauren LaMagna. What's up, everybody? And also the editor of BlackFilm.com, joining us for the first time ever as a guest here on the Next Best Picture podcast, Wilson Morales, everybody. Good to be in. Good to have you here. This is awesome. Yeah. Dolomite, man. Yes, Dolomite. We're ready to blow this motherfucker out of the water. <laughs> Let's do it. Oh, man. This, I'm going to just warn everybody right now. There's going to be a lot of swearing probably on this podcast because uh, that's what this movie uh, to a certain degree is like. I don't want to say it's founded on that necessarily, but that is kind of the shtick, you know, of this film. And it is, it's very funny, very entertaining. 
It's been kicking around the screenings for a bit since its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. It's now available on Netflix, so we thought this would be a good time now that the world has had has gotten a chance to catch up with Eddie Murphy's comeback vehicle to finally, finally talk about it. Wilson, you are the guest here. I want to start off with you first. What do you ultimately think of Dolomite Is My Name? It's it's in turn and down the road it's going to be considered a classic. It's Eddie Eddie Murphy's best role in years. Uh, that's not saying a lot, considering he hasn't done a lot of films. I was going to say, I would say it's maybe his best role ever. I wouldn't say ever. You know, obviously, the whole reason there's an Eddie Murphy and why he's so famous is because back in the early 80s, you know, he did a state between Trading Places and 48 Hours. You know, he was at one point the king of comedy. You know, and then obviously, like everybody else, at some point, you know, it, people stopped coming and he hasn't made movies. And then he, he had a somewhat comeback with Dream Girls, in which he played a dramatic role. He got nominated, did not win, and then went back to doing what he does best. And, you know, he did Norbert and then, uh, you know, then kind of stopped doing other films that just weren't up to par for what his earlier days was. And then we see him play a role like this. You know, I, I wouldn't say he was born for it, but who else could play a foul-mouthed individual like Rudy Ray Moore than Eddie Murphy? Both of them were stand-up comedians or are stand-up comedians. You know, they both were foul, you know, used the language to to the highest extent. And, you know, Craig Brewer, we saw what he did with Hustle and Flow. And uh, he obviously did something with Black Snake Bone, but this goes back to Craig Brewer's earlier days. And a testimony, a testament to this film goes to the writing, because you know, in interviews that I've seen, Eddie Murphy said that you know he couldn't have done it without Larry and Charles, and you know they put that dialogue together, they worked it, they they did it while Rudy was still alive, and to see Eddie Murphy embody that character, and the first thing I wondered is how raw would this film be? You know, they don't play Dolomite mm. on TV these days, you know, because of all the black exploitation films, this one was the most rawest as you can get. You know, I, yeah. I would say the female version of it would be Pan Green movies. Sure. Yeah. But but with Rudy, but with Rudy Ray Moore, it's like, OK, it's one of those things where, like, you had to get the, the, the VHS and watch it when your parents were asleep <laughs> if you had a, a VHR, a VHS at the time. And, you know. And it's just not Eddie Murphy, you know. You've got a cast of comedians surrounded around him, from Keegan Michael Key to Titus Burgess to a newcomer named Davine Joy Randolph, who compliments Eddie Murphy and is able to hold her own weight amongst these host of comedians. Uh, you've got Wesley Snipes and what is his comeback, you know. Um, He's, I wouldn't say he's a scene stealer, but in a way he is, you know, when he first burst on the scene towards the end. And uh, you've got, you know, Mike Epps in an understated role because with all these comedians, they can go off at any time, but yet they they play a backseat to Eddie Murphy because he is, this is his role. And, uh, you know, your laugh, you know, there's some emotional scenes in that movie. And, you know, it wasn't being talked about early when it first got released in theaters, because uh, that's how Netflix films are, you know. But once it hits Netflix, it had been trending since Friday to now. And I think now the buildup is happening for Eddie Murphy to possibly get within that top five mentioned for best actor. Uh, and I hope it happens. 
Yeah. I, I'm definitely rooting for the guy, too, because, I mean, the character he plays in this movie is someone that is very easy to root for. Uh, the movie definitely earns our um, sympathy. It earns our uh, our laughter and everything else that comes along with it. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, Scott and Larry, uh, the writers on this film. And, you know, just to, for a little bit of context here for our listeners, they have written the movies Ed Wood, uh, Man on the Moon, and there is kind of like a bit of a history here just in regards to like these real life uh, people, but also uh, showcasing them as artists. And I think they really capture uh, the struggles that an artist goes through in creating something. And I think that's the thing about Dolomite is my name that resonated, at least with me, uh, the most here, much more uh, probably than even something like The Disaster Artist, which is a recent film that uh, has gotten some comparisons to Dolomite is my name uh, with similar themes that it tackled. But I think here it feels a little bit more earned. Um, Josh, I pass it over to you next. Uh, do you echo uh, that sentiment? Oh, yes, I echo quite a bit of it. I absolutely love this movie. And I actually had the opportunity to see this in a movie theater uh, many weeks back. And I really appreciated that. It was great to see it not only on a big screen, but also with a crowd that was fairly responsive to it. And I agree that Eddie Murphy is fantastic in this role. He is as good here as he was in sort of the earlier days when we kind of almost forget about that. This cast is astounding too. God, I love Wesley Snipes so much in this movie. He's so fun. (laughs) I love him and I love the entire cast. And I also just really respond to this movie's message about uh, not only this guy, but also just these group of people that wanted to tell a story, that then they wanted to make entertainment that serviced their community. And yeah. I don't find this to be cynical at all. Uh, I feel it so earnestly in the storytelling, and I appreciate that so much. And I think that's one of the things that I really respond to in this film. So I, I absolutely love it. There would be a bit of funny irony, if you will, if uh, critics like us didn't actually like the movie. And at the end of the film, they're going on about like, fuck critics. We made our movie. Nobody's taking that away from us, you know. (laughs) But luckily, I have a feeling that we're all in agreement here. Lauren? Yeah, I'm just echoing what everyone else is saying. Yeah. Unlike most people, I've seen I saw this movie, you know, last night in my bed, drinking some tea. And it was just a sweet, great movie. You know, I'm on the young side of the audience. I'm not a huge, I don't know that much about Rudy Raymore. So it was a great education on the guy. And you could tell that everyone, including especially Eddie Murphy, loves and respects this man. So the fact that you can tell that the whole creative team of this film just wants to serve him justice and tell his story to the world is something that I love. And I just love the fact that it tells a story about a guy who, not the most talented guy in the world, but he really believes in what he does and he really wants to do what he does and he doesn't let anyone stop him. He grabs the bull by the horns and even though nobody wants to make a movie with him, he does it anyway. And because he is so sure of himself and so confident and just believes in himself, it works out. So I love that story in itself and I think that's a message that anyone can relate to and anyone can be inspired by that because I do think that basically is his legacy. That's what I got is basically the American dream. If you believe in it so much and hard enough, you can do it. And I love that message. And I love that feel good feeling of it at the end. And I do think Eddie Murphy is back. I've missed him. 
And you can just tell how much this man means to him. And I'm pretty sure he did him justice. Yeah. Uh, but before we get into the actual movie itself, Wilson, I'm going to put you actually on the spot here for a brief second. You know, Dolomite, uh, the film about the film within the film that everyone is making uh, premiered in 1975. It's been described as one of the great uh, black exploitation movies of all time. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll admit I haven't seen the movie outside of what is shown here in Dolomite is my name. And I, I'm just curious, you know, from a context standpoint, what is it about uh, this movie and just like the overall legacy of Rudy Ray Moore that made um, this such a great story to tell for Dolomite is my name? You know, you look at those black quotation films and the reason they were made is because obviously, you know, uh, Hollywood was not uh, uh, was not greenlighting a lot of black films. And between Rudy Ray Moore and uh, Melvin Van Peebles, and there, I'm sure there are a lot more other people, they had to make their own movie. You know, they did it with a shoestring budget. Yeah. And so, you know, Rudy Ray Moore, when you look at, and, you know, if you, when you look at the movie, you see what happens. You know, they're lacking money. You know, just like the movie, you know, they had to find the right people, you know, to say, okay, we, you know, we can't play it in those days, but we'll play it in the black neighborhoods where people come out in droves. And all of a sudden, you know, it made the numbers that it did. And all of a sudden, people take notice. And that still happens today. Yeah. You know, like the only reason a black film will get noticed would be if people come out in droves. When you think about what's, who, who's the last person to do it? Tyler Perry. And I remember when Tyler Perry came out with the first Medea. And the critics, or at least the box office experts, predicted it would only make $5 million. And he shocks the world, and it brings in $20 million. You know, and all of a sudden, Tyler Perry becomes a name, because every time his film came out, they undervalued it, and he would double what they did, which is the same, you know, and it still happens today. I think, you know, you don't have a box office expert that can generate or predict how much a black film will do because they don't know where the black audience is going to come from. If you think about Bolomite, if you put it in the same amount of screens as Black Panther, and as the movie says itself, you know, people wanted to see Dolomite, mm-hmm. but yet nobody wanted to show it. You know, people wanted to see uh, Black Panther, and it got showed everywhere, and we came out in droves. You know, so if you start thinking back to if they had done the same thing for Dolomite, who knows how much money it would have made? As it is right now, uh, you have uh, still Tyler Perry's movies are not played in certain theaters in New York City. I can't speak for everywhere else, but you won't see a Tyler Perry movie played on Lincoln Square. You won't see it played, you know, on like uh, the Paris Theater. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll find it in Harlem. You'll probably find it in the AMC 34th Street, uh, but you won't see it where a main crowd will go out to. You know, and same thing like Will Packer. Will Packer made, you know, I think for us, for black individuals, for black directors and producers, their success comes not with reviews, not with like how great it is, but how much money you make. Jordan Peele, get out. Who knew what, you know, $4 million budget, $280 million profit, that sold. You know, Will Packer made his name on films that some may have considered mediocre, but they were number one films and they've made money. And now today, you know, it's interesting because there's a different form of currency, if you will, like you were saying before about how Dolomite is my name is trending worldwide, being a streaming film that's now accessible to everyone for the most part, 
millions and millions of people all over thanks to Netflix. And it's amazing like how that's now just been kind of updated for today. Um, I, I, I find that to be ever so fascinating here. I love that the film is getting the platform that it is receiving because all the things that we've talked about so far, Eddie Murphy's comeback, the cast, Rufy Carter's costumes. Oh my God. Oh, those yes. costumes. Yeah. Woo. Yes. Amazing. You know, it, it's good to see that she can, you know, you never know when somebody, you know, uh, like Ruthie Carter, she's been working for years. She's worked with almost every black director. Uh, obviously, the world now knows who she is because she won the Oscar last year. To see that she can come back a year later with another film and possibly get another nomination, she doesn't have to win, but just, you know, she's on that. But now, you know, she's being, uh, the work of hers is being more consistently noticed than before. Yep. And, you know, I like uh, that you mentioned just uh, the work being noticed, too, because this me- this movie has another message that I thought was extremely, extremely important. And it doesn't actually really come together until the end of the film, uh, where Divine Joy Randolph has this really great scene with Eddie Murphy, where she talks about how this movie that they made together made her feel seen on the big screen. And, you know, it's interesting, too, in how we're talking about, like, because I'll admit, you know, there are certain movies sometimes that I watch, uh, especially from Tyler Perry, and I'm just like, it's not good. And I guess that's like keeping in line with historically uh, what happened with Ru- uh, Rudy uh, Ray Moore, uh, what sometimes happens with Tyler Perry, but yet the audience still comes because there is a portion of people out there that just feel seen. Uh, on the screen, and they want to feel that way. Um, and now it's like with movies like this and others um, that we're seeing get made more and more and more often, more opportunity being given. Um, we're starting to see, uh, you know, higher quality films. I don't want to like necessarily put other films down in like that sort of a negative way, but at least that's just the way I see it. You know what I mean? More opportunity, though, at the end of the day, is I think the big uh, takeaway there, at least. That, exactly, exactly. You know, like Viola Davis said when she won the Emmy for How to Get Away with Murder is, you know, all you have to do is give them the opportunity and the same platforms as her colleagues, white colleagues, and people will come out and see it. You know, um, and you mentioned, as, mentioned uh, as we mentioned before, Tyler Perry, he made a movie, uh, the Hall- the Medea's Boo or Medea Halloween, using um, actors, or I would say actors, individuals who have a big following on YouTube and Instagram, and that movie made nearly $70 million. Why? Because they were being seen. And those people told their audiences, I'm in this movie, come check me out. And the numbers spoke for itself. Yep. The movie wasn't good, but at the end of the day, Hollywood doesn't care if it's good. There's been plenty of movies that were mediocre, but when you make money, you know, I never forget how many times Adam Sandler had a bunch of clunkers but when they gross over $100 million, that's all that matters in Hollywood. Yep, it's true. It's true. Uh, I want to talk about Eddie Murphy. I want to talk about um, what specifically he is doing here. How is it similar to playing to uh, the strengths that he's done in other roles? How is it different? Uh, Josh, Lauren, do either one of you guys have any thoughts on that? Oh, I mean, he is really showcasing just how funny and charming he is I, and i think it's especially that he, he just has this very magnetic screen presence that makes you want to keep watching him and i think that's incredibly important for this kind of role because 
he's the ringleader of the operation. You know, he's the person who is in charge of convincing everybody else to go with him on this journey. And I think that he does a really good job of capturing that sincerity. There really isn't a cynical part of Rudy Ray Moore in, in this film. And I think that's very crucial to this movie's success. And I think that Eddie Murphy really manages to capture that so well. And every time he's on screen, you want to root for the guy, but you also want to root for him not in a joking way either or, or in a cynical way. You really are invested in the journey that he's in and want to see him succeed with this thing that he has so much passion for. And yeah, I think Eddie Murphy does a fantastic job of capturing that. Yeah, and he's also really comfortable in this and I think Eddie Murphy as an actor himself is very much in the zone like he's very he has the swagger he has the confidence he's got that stage present where I think he really does feel at home playing this character who was an inspiration to him he did look up to him and I was reading an interview that he's been wanting to make this movie for 15-16 years and when he would discuss it with Rudy Ray Moore like he would just be like, why would you make a movie about me? Let's just stand up together. So the fact that, you know, this was always a thought in Eddie Murphy's head, he didn't just like decide, the script just didn't come to his door one day and say like, hey, let's get back into acting. This was always on his mind and something that he really wanted to put out into the world, you know, as to tell the story of his hero. And I really do feel the confidence of Eddie Murphy as a professional and just him being at home in this type of role with, again, the swagger and the confidence and that just presence where we as an audience feel like, okay, this guy is definitely the perfect actor to play this version of the character. Yeah, because at the end of the day, uh, the character is an entertainer. And I think Eddie Murphy has always been that as well. He's been an entertainer. And so you're right that when he could slide comfortably into that kind of a role, it's like it's like a natural fit, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what I, what I found interesting is something that you just said a second there, Josh, actually, uh, about how, like, it's never really cynical. You know, in the beginning, you know, he's talking about how my life gets so damn small and, uh, you know, he kind of does rip off the material. It's not really his own necessarily. So I was a little like, how are we supposed to see this guy? Like, he just sounds like he's somebody that wants to be famous, sounds a little selfish, you know. But when you start to see how he treats uh, the crew that he works with when he gets, uh, you know, into the movie and how respectful he is and the positivity and the upbeat charm that he has with everyone um, and how he fights for his art, you know, despite mm-hmm. everyone telling him no. Um, I was completely won over by this guy by the time we got to the end of the film where I, I was like the people in the crowd. I just wanted to spend more time with him as much as I possibly could and just hang out with him because he just really endeared himself to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and I really can't stress how... I really do believe that is the key to the success of this film. And, you know, I've heard comparisons, obviously, of to movies like Ed Wood, to uh, The Disaster Artist. And I really think that those comparisons, I get why they are there. Yeah. But I also feel they are a bit inaccurate because as good as those movies are, I also feel like there's constantly this winking at the audience while you're watching like Ed Wood make these terrible movies that you're sort of in on the joke that he's a bad filmmaker right and that you are kind of laughing at him at the same time like you are rooting for him but you're also rooting for him with the acknowledgement that he's not talented and you're sort of laughing at him same thing with the disaster artist 
This movie doesn't do that. You are not really laughing at Rudy Ray Moore in, at least not in that capacity. You are watching somebody who kind of knows that what they're making isn't high art, but they're making something that's whose main purpose is to entertain people and to let people see themselves. He knows what the audience wants. He wants women doing Kung Fu. And I want to see that too. (laughs) Yes. And I really admired this movie for taking that avenue that wasn't in the business of celebrating this guy, but doing it in a cynical way that it was genuine in the things that it wanted to celebrate and honest about them too. And I found that to be so refreshing and you see that in eddie murphy's performance you see that with the entire tone of this movie and that is why i just have such a good time with it because i love the tone that this movie sets for itself and its characters yeah yeah they showed his flaws and as you mentioned matt you know how the character looked out for others you know it's kind of funny you mentioned how he you know that he did rip somebody else's comics and i'm sure that's that's been the trade in the comic business for years about how people accuse the others. Oh, he stole my joke. He stole my joke. But here, because the guy was such a good natured individual and looking out for the others, no one seemed to mind, you know? And at the same, at the end of the day, it's like, you can probably get the seed, but you still got to plant it and, and, and let it grow. Or you're just telling a story of a selfish guy who through, you know, the journey that he goes on, um, you know, g- grows to stop caring about himself being famous and more so looking after the people around him, which I think is a great story to tell. Yeah, these guys, you know, like I said, it's, you know, not only is the storytelling, but it's also the direction. And when I say that, it's like, you know, the guy I, I kind of said about Eddie Murphy is that, like, he didn't have, in my personal opinion, a director he respected. Not since Dream Girls. Because when he was doing these other movies, it's it almost seemed like he was just walking through them. Like, okay, you know, I'm getting paid this amount of money. They want me to be the funny guy. They want me to wear like the fat suit, yeah, and so forth. You know, and he's been living off his name for the last ten years. It's not like we're talking about, like, oh, did you see, you know, Eddie Murphy in this recent time? Even he had a movie to come out, I think, a couple of years ago called Mr. Church, that went nowhere, and you know, that was an attempt to him to be seen serious, but. I don't, you know, they didn't have the right director, they didn't have the right story, uh, and it kind of played at Tribeca Film Festival, went nowhere from there. Here, you know, the minute you're, you hear he's playing Dolomite, for a lot of older audiences, they've been wanting Eddie to play this role. Like, if you, if you think about it, whether it be Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock, these are true comedians of yesteryear, the guys who know stand-up. You know, Dave Chappelle could have played him and probably done this just as well, but because it's Eddie Murphy, and we haven't seen him in so long, we, we've been wanting Eddie to make this comeback for a long time. Yeah, I definitely agree. It almost feels like, uh, to me at least, in, in a lot of ways, it, it almost feels like the first film that he has done since Dreamgirls to a certain degree. Um, because I'll admit, like, I avoid movies like Norbit. <laughs> you know, I ain't going to pay a ticket to go see that. I already know what it's going to be, you know, unless if it gets like great reactions from people or something like that and it becomes like or a must-see movie nomination oscar nomination would do would do some good yeah I, i'd go see it if that were the case you know <laughs> i mean norbit is an oscar nominee <sighs> was it was it for what makeup <laughs> yep best makeup don't remind me hey listen <laughs> there's always a suicide squad somewhere right <laughs> in any event though i i like that eddie murphy with this uh coming to america uh which is coming out in uh, another year's time um, I like that he's enjoying this moment right now 
and uh, he's getting this moment. And you're right, Wilson, that it all comes down to the script and the direction. And I do want to celebrate Craig Brewer here just for a second because I do feel that his direction is the kind of direction that is not going to get praised with awards or anything like that. But man, oh man, is there a flair and an energy to this movie in the way that the camera uh zooms, the way the camera moves, the way that the editing is just very brisk throughout and the story just zips right on by. You know, this movie matches the energy of its uh, of its subject. And I, I really, really like that a lot. And like I said, I don't think many people are going to recognize that, but it deserves to be recognized. Yeah, like I said before, it's like it's all about who Eddie can respect. And obviously, yeah. Craig did a good enough job that he's got coming to America, you know, the sequel. Yeah. You know, so he'll get to work with Eddie. Like, let's keep it going, you know. And Craig real works with the opposite with Ensemble. He did it with Hassan Flo. He did it with uh, uh, Black Snake Moan to a lesser degree. He oh, did it with I the, like Black Snake Moan. <laughs> Footloose. You he know. was an Empire. Yeah. Did a couple episodes of Empire as well. That's true. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, we talk about the cast here. Um, man, oh, man. There were some scenes where I was like, holy shit, they're in this, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the very, very beginning Snoop Dogg on screen. And I was yeah. like, oh, shit, it's Snoop Dogg. <laughs> uh, Bob Odenkirk at one point pops up. Chris Rock's yeah. there. Chris Rock. Yep. Ron Cephas Jones. I was like, there you are. This is us. What's up? T.I. <laughs> yep. T.I. T.I.'s in there. It's like, and that's the thing. It's like all, all these people can be in this movie have their scene like it's like jump rope go in do your thing get out and make it count and uh cody smith uh mcphee uh ate an adult-sized man and apparently became one uh overnight (laughs) because man oh man does he not look like the uh kid that i once knew anymore at all no he does not uh but i i need to throw praise i i like all the praise in the world to the person that i think i I don't want to say he stole the whole movie but Every single scene that Wesley Snipes is in, he absolutely steals it. Yes. Oh. Holy God, is he a riot in this movie? Because, because I'm an actor. You know? <laughs> I, you know, I've worked with Joe's and John Cansevetes. <laughs> his eyes, when he's just doing like uh, some of his lines, I, I just like, I, I couldn't contain my laughter. It was so outrageous and so like out there at times but like in that very like snobby artistic sort of a way that i just i ate it up i'm trying to think is this the first time wesley's been in a comedy since to to wolfong oh god that's a good question you know because because you wonder like you know we haven't seen him be funny you know he's you know so like except for that film mm. you know and he's obviously he's best known for the blade series and yeah you know the action films but here He's able to, you know, just go in there, you know, and it's not easy for a straight actor to kind of go in there and display those emotional scenes where it's meant for laughs, you know, and, yeah. and that's also a testimony to the writing. I mean, he's got my favorite moment in the movie with Cody Smith McVie, where he's like, is there any angle you could shoot this at where it looks like he's kick- kicking him? And then Cody Smith McVie moves <laughs> in and he says to him, there is no such angle. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was dying yeah, when I heard that. It, says, okay. <laughs> and then he just grimaces, and it's oh, so amazing. I mean, it is an intentionally broad kind of a performance, but it is so perfectly keyed into what that character needs to do, and he does it so incredibly well. I agree that 
if, you know, it, it's hard to say anybody except Eddie Murphy gives the best performance in the film, but man, oh man, is Wesley Snipes just as entertaining to watch. He's so good. When they wrap up the movie and he's like, I'll see you all at the premiere. And then he like comes back in the room. He's like, the movie may not sell. So maybe I won't see you at the premiere. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my God. Like his comic timing in this, uh, what he was doing physically, like with his, with his hands at times, it just, oh man. I, just even thinking about it is putting a great smile on my face. Um, I will admit I was a little let down by Keegan-Michael Key in this. I don't know if it's because... I couldn't tell if the character he was playing was supposed to be a serious character or if he was supposed to be a funny character. Well, he's the straight man in this crazy world. Like, he's the serious writer. Okay, so that, yeah. Yeah, I read him as serious. Okay, got it. And and I don't know if that's, like, maybe the best fit, then, for Keegan-Michael Key to do that in a supporting role like this. You know what I mean? Because it's so against type, then. Yeah, I wouldn't get Series actor as a serious character, but um, he did what he had to do, and I honestly think that every single one of these actors wanted to be a part of this production. Oh hell yeah! So they would t- they took whatever like was given to them, and he did yeah. fine. Yeah, but yeah, look I at, wouldn't have casted him to be like a, the straight character, definitely. Look at Mike Epps. We haven't seen Mike Epps in a big film in a long time. Yeah, you know, and, and Craig Robinson, like you said, everybody who just wanted to go in there. You know, I'm sure when Chris Rock heard there was a role, I'm sure like just find a way to get me in you know uh to see chris rock and eddie murphy once again you know i'm trying to remember did they work together in coming to america no um did they have seen in that film I, I'm not, chris I was, rock and eddie murphy i'm trying to think was, was there a film that they worked were in? they ever together man i don't think you know, so i'm trying to remember it was it beverly hills cop i don't know if they worked together oh. all right but i will say it was awesome seeing them together yeah no definitely I love that part where he's like, he's like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, I'm trying to help you. And he's like, you know, he's like, man. He's like, I don't know. Yeah, he's like, I can't. I I don't really know what's going on with the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Um, I also like really found it interesting, too, that um, I I had no idea that like the style of rap um, was so influential and that he was kind of like the person that like originated this. And it's like. You just take a look at like all of the different accomplishments that this guy had in his life and the fact that the movie's able to like kind of just cram it all in there in something that is honestly it's less than 2 hours long which is amazing you know it's like guys take take some notes here on how to like yeah. cram a lot of moments from one person's life into a less than 2 hour film you know just to go back for a second Chris Rock appeared in Beverly Hills Cop 2 I knew it Boomerang Mm-hmm. And Doctor Doolittle. Oh, he was the the, the uh, not the, the hamster, the guinea pig, right? Yeah, yeah. So, this, so they've worked to, so they've worked together on three films. Mm-hmm. Cool. But yeah, so it's good to see. And remember, he came up under Eddie Murphy. Yes. Yeah, he was like a protege. Yeah. So it's good to see you know this, this whole gang of comedians back together. You know, like I said, it's not easy to make a film with this much talent and make it work. Yeah, you know, it's like you, you just want everybody to go in there because the one thing you don't want to say is who's who's undervalued, whose role is wasted, and so forth. But you know, the fact that everybody wanted to walk in there and say, "Okay, just give me a role, I'll make it work," and I'm sure that the writer said, "Okay, we just can't have Craig Robinson do nothing. We can't have Ti do nothing," and they gave him all a scene, whether it was in the beginning of the movie or in the middle of the movie, just to make it work. 
I agree. Yeah. Everyone gets a moment in this movie. That's 100% true. And it was so well written and well directed that none of it draw fo- drew focus away from the actual story itself. If I if I could just throw one slight criticism at the movie, and I, I'm not sure if this is a case of just building momentum or what it is necessarily, but when the movie was over, I definitely had a sense that I enjoyed the filmmaking portion of the movie so the second half let's call it a little bit more than the first half i i I kind of almost felt like the first half not that it struggled because i don't think it ever struggles but maybe i just struggled to kind of like figure out where the movie was trying to find its footing you know because it does start off at a certain point in this guy's life um it also explores a whole different aspect than the whole filmmaking angle which is his stand-up um and you know trying to put both of those together as like two halves, if you will, Um, just for myself. Like the first half, I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm enjoying this, I'm enjoying this. But then the second half, it was like, I'm really enjoying this now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I I would agree with you to a certain extent, Matt. I do think that the whole filmmaking uh, section of the film is where it really comes alive for me. And I, I don't know if I necessarily think that the first half is as much of a struggle but for me, but I do think that a lot of the themes that it's working with start to crystallize in that second half for me, where it really right. becomes more about Rudy Ray Moore and this kind of community of artists that he's working with, and that's when it really starts to hammer home the ideas about what he as, a, um, as an entertainer meant to people. And I think that it becomes a little bit less of a selfish thing that he's doing in that second half. You know what? That's it. It's about that. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, that that's what I felt. Okay. Thank you for verbalizing that for me, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to get it out, but you got it out for me. I really appreciate that. Yeah, but and like we also said, it doesn't mean that that first section is bad. No, it no, just, definitely no. Yeah, but I do kind of agree with you that as good as it is, it is kind of limited in how thematically powerful it is and you really only get that in the second half of the movie yeah are there any like um i wrote down a couple of lines did anybody like have any lines or scenes or moments or anything like that they wanted to just draw attention to uh the filming of the sex scene oh my god (laughs) (laughs) yes everything about that moment is so good (laughs) yeah from the beginning you know when he first says i don't know how i'm gonna do this you know like you know, you could, you know, because forever, whatever people may have thought of Rudy Ray Moore, and you wonder whether or not, you know, like, there's that scene that Craig Robinson says, oh, you think you're smart, you know, you got the white girl going in there, no, you're going to have the sex scene, and he's like, you know, everybody, they had their own opinion of Rudy, and Rudy's like, no, I just want to make a movie, you know, and by happenstance, they're just like, okay, let's make it funny, you know? Yeah. And, and that was the, the funniest part of the movie is that you went from this emotional aspect where he really doesn't know what he's doing and how he's going to play this out, you know, with all these people watching him. And it takes a conversation from him to say, OK, let me go back to making it funny, but not tell everybody. So that way, you know, the, the screenwriter is not in on the joke. Uh, I'm trying to think. What was another good one here? Oh, I, I just have like random ones. I always do this. I always write down just random lines all the time. Um, I have, oh shit, that's a motherfucking wig. I have that one written down. <laughs> that was hysterical. That got a good laugh out of me. Um, uh, oh, this one got a laugh out of me. On vinyl, you can call a guy a cocksucker, but you cannot say he sucks a cock. Yep. Do you get the distinction? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> and he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and like what he says right after, like, I just got into a semantic argument over cocksucking. And it was just like... <laughs> 
<laughs> People do not really know. Like, have any of you guys ever heard of Rudy Ray Moore before this movie? No, I honestly, no. Yeah. I did, but I didn't know the full story of him. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I like, knew of Dolomite. Like, I knew that. Like, his name was story. Taboo. His <laughs> name was like, you know, like when you have all these black quotation films, and you know, we've seen obviously remakes within the last year with, between Shaft and, and, uh, and uh, what's it called? What's that movie that came out last year? You know, I. You know, and obviously Pam Greer was always the queen of the black exploitation films. Yeah. You know, Rudy Ray Moore was the taboo. He was like, okay, you know, you're, you're not going to play it on TV. And obviously, you could see by the cover of his albums, he, he certainly showed nudity. <laughs> you know, so his stuff was the one that people did not want to talk about, but people talked about it in circles, you know, on quietness. And yeah. like I said before, the one thing you wanted this movie to be was... The idea is raw because you can't tame Rudy Ray Moore. You, you can't make it a white movie when it comes to this individual. Yeah, I like that about the movie. I like that it has like kind of this rebellious attitude about it. Um, and it definitely came across that this was an artist that was ahead of his time. Um, and that was that's just very fun to watch. You know, it's fun to watch someone that's like ahead of the pack and is cutting edge and is doing things that no one else is doing. And you know what? Even if we get laughed at or somebody writes us a bad review or nothing like that, it goes back to the message at the end there where it's like, we we, we are here to work together to make a movie. And yeah. I, I just as someone who loves the art of movies and making movies like that resonated very, very strongly with me. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love it how he refuses to change who he is in order to become, you know, a quote unquote successful. Right. Filmmaker, and even in the scene where you know they're driving to their premiere, and he's making everyone read the reviews, and it's mm-hmm. they're not good reviews. And he goes, "Guys, it doesn't matter. We're in a limo going to a premiere for our movie. I love like that. we're winning." And I, that was like that's a moment in the film that really like stuck out to me because he didn't change who he was. He made his movie, and he got someone to put it in a movie theater. He's like that. There, we won. So yep. it doesn't yeah. matter what people say about it. Like we did this, and we stuck to who we are, no matter what. And I love that. It actually made me have like a bit of an appreciation uh, for some of the bad movies that we trashed here on the podcast this year. <laughs> Not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> no, because everyone makes movies because they want to make the movie. They don't say, "Okay, let's make a shitty movie." Yeah, exactly. And I lo- yeah. And you know, you, you have to sometimes remind yourself of that, and then you know, then there's just things that it's like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but as I mentioned before, you know, you start to go out Tyler Perry and. When Tyler Perry came out with his first film, Tyler Perry made a success because he was having, he was playing Medea on stage in what you call the Chitlin circuit and had a big, big following. So when you think of Dolomite, he goes, people know Dolomite. They want to see Dolomite on the big screen. That's exactly what Tyler Perry said. They want to see Medea on the big screen. And, you know, because no one... He was untested, you know, everybody undervalued what he could do. And then obviously within those first five films, he shocked the world. And I wouldn't say shocked the world at all because they kept undervaluing, you know, his presence. So when you think about, you know, if Dolomite had been given the same sort of treatment, he would be the Tyler Perry of yesteryear, mm-hmm. you know, like in any way well, he was, because as you see, you know, he brought numbers, he broke records for the amount of, of small theaters, you know, his movies were played in. Tyler Perry still, you know, like I was at um, the, what's it called, up, uh, the convention in Las Vegas, you know, the, the theater awards, I forget, um, 
you know, in April, where they honor Tyler Perry because, you know, he said when Tyler Perry comes out with a movie, it's all hands on deck in Atlanta because they know that he's going to bring in an audience. Yeah. You know, and while people say, okay, his movies are not great, look what he's been doing recently. He just built the biggest studio three times, five times bigger than any studio in Hollywood in Atlanta. You know, and that's because of the success that his people have given him, you know, which is what made Rudy Ray Moore. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one thing I, I did also just want to mention about that limo scene, because I was going to uh, mention that scene as being one of my favorites. Another element that I really enjoyed was when they are reading the reviews and they come across one that he picks out and he reads it and says, oh, this movie's vulgar and disgusting and all these other things. And, you know, everybody in the car is getting very uh, discouraged by that, but he says, no, that's the movie that we wanted to make. Yeah. This isn't a bad review. This is the exactly the movie that our audience wanted to see, and that's what we're promising. And I found that to be so inspiring. It's like, yes, make the movie that you want to make, make the art that you are invested in for the audience that wants to see it, and that is really the only thing that matters. And I really just love that message in this film. Yeah, It's kind of funny. It goes, it goes to some of these movies now that get talked about and make success because, you know, think about it. It's like, uh, it, it, no shape does it be considered. We look at Joker. You know, I know people that want to go see it because, oh, I heard it was violent. It's not good. And I wanted to go see it, you know, and, and look where it's at now. Whether it's good or not, you just kept hearing about it, you know, and, and that's the thing with some of these movies. It's like, oh, especially with movies that are, have to be critic proof. You know, it's like, you, you know, it's like you, there's, just, there's a certain amount of us that will not go see these movies. You know, and if we do see it, we already have it as minus uh, minus 100. You know, we're just we're waiting. We just want to see these movies knowing our expectations. So it makes it easier for us to write that review. You know, whereas there are these movies where like filmmakers do not care. It's like they're just going to make it. It has an audience and they're just going to ride with it. Yeah, it's true. All right, so we're at the point now where I'm going to ask you all for any final thoughts on Dolomite Is My Name. Uh, Lauren, we'll start off with you. Anything that we didn't touch on that you want to touch on really quick here? As someone who just loves the aspect of filmmaking itself, I just love watching films about films being made. So just seeing the whole behind-the-scenes aspect of that was really, really cool for me. And I know it happens a little bit more than it should, but I just love the way that, you know, this hardcore independent grab the bulls by the horn fine i'll do it myself mentality it's very punk it's very you know i believe in it so i'm gonna do it and i just love seeing these group of people who really believe in what they can do and what they want to do and just do it so that was something i really love seeing again it was definitely in the second half that i think was the strongest but i love seeing that mentality and just seeing that this this group of tribe you know really believing in what they're doing and doing it it's great all right. Josh? Uh, I want to mention just two very quick things. Uh, the first one is I find it just rather amusing that Netflix made a movie about four-walling. I just found, <laughs> found that to be a, a little funny thing to include in the film. Um, and the other thing is I also just want to make sure that we do shout out uh, um, Devon Joy Randolph because yeah. she is really good in this film too and it would have been so easy for that character to become a very broad caricature but she brings so much grounded humanity to her and she feels so real and her motivations in the story are so genuine and you really believe in her journey and 
you know, the entire cast does a lot of great work, but I also want to make sure that we single her out too, because she's also really incredible in this film. Yeah, I, I agree, especially like I was saying earlier, that last scene with her and Eddie Murphy, especially that uh, resonated very, very strongly for me, along with a bunch of other scenes that we were talking about before at the end. And it just really helped to like bring the film home, knock it out of the park and just send us all out on a high note, you know, resulting in uh, the rapturous joy that is this movie at the end of the day. A movie about making movies, a movie about being an artist, a movie about entertaining. And that's what this movie does in spades, you know. Uh, Wilson, anything that we didn't talk about that you want to touch on? No, it's just, you know, like, you wonder, like, you know, throughout the year, we've been talking about, like, Netflix has an arsenal of riches this year. You know, obviously, there's the Irishman, there's Marriage Story, there's the Two Popes, and this was right along with that, you know. And while people don't think of comedy when it comes to Oscars, given from that's not so much of a comedy, it's a more of a dramedy. And because it's Eddie Murphy, you know, it deserves to be in that conversation, you know. And I guess anybody, if there's any studio that could get people to talk about it, it is Netflix. I think with another studio, like say Paramount, where Eddie Murphy's had a home for years, would have done it. It may have done well financially, but no one would have taken it seriously enough to talk about it. You know, with Netflix, they can certainly stir the pot uh, and, and and get that conversation going. You see what they've done with Roma and other films. And, you know, and maybe, like I said, you know, we've still got a long way to go to see, like, whether or not Eddie can get into that conversation within, you know, him, Devine, and certainly Ruth Carter. Well, that's where we're at now in this portion of the review. Um before we do talk about the Oscar prospects for this film, I am going to say for my grade out of 10, I'm going with an 8 out of 10. Uh, Lauren, what about you? I'm going to go with a 7 out of 10. Okay. Josh? I'm at a very high 8 out of 10. I, there's a couple things about it that I do find kind of diminish it just a little bit. As great as the cast is, I do think some of those supporting players are – so briefly mentioned that you don't really get a great sense of everything that I think that they could do, but I, I still really, really like the movie and I'm actually, I'm very close to giving it a nine. Maybe then when I see it again, I will, but it's a very, very strong eight out of 10 for me. Wilson, what about you? I definitely would give it a, a strong eight. Um, and I don't give out tens unless it's you know it's perfect. But you know, that's that's it's, how it's, I am too. Know. I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah, I never give. I don't do ten out of ten. You know, um, but it it definitely delivered a lot what I wanted to get out of it. You know, and the thing for me is story acting, especially when you have that cast in there. Whether or not everybody can make their mark, because I don't want to say certain people were wasted, and none of them were. Because I think I think when you have a guy like Eddie Murphy, who's Everybody says, you know, all those individuals grew up watching him because he was the one that kept the door open for all those guys to get a shot and to say, OK, I'm going to get in the movie with Eddie Murphy. And he, he really want and it's because he was part of the project. He, he wasn't some guy that just they cast in the movie. He was part from, from the beginning and they know that. And it says, OK, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to give you my best, whatever scene or world or however big or small it is. And that's the testament to this film is that it's just not one individual. It's a an ensemble piece that makes it work. Yeah, totally agreed. Uh, so at this point, as we talk about the Oscar prospects here for Dolomite is my name, you know, I'll be a bit of a cynic here and I'll just say that I think that it's best, best day. 
I think is probably just Eddie Murphy and costume design in all honesty. Yeah. I, 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 I would agree with you. I want there to be more um, because I definitely think that there is more there. I just don't know if it'll get the push it needs from critics groups um, to actually get there. Yeah, I think overall um, you're looking at, you know, can Eddie Murphy get in there? You know, uh, can Ruth Carter get in there for costume? I, I think, I'll be honest, I think if this film gets one nomination, it's going to be for Ruth Carter. And to tell you the truth, I think she could win again easily. Uh, I don't want to go quite that far. Really? I still, I still believe that you need Best Picture Heat even to win in these uh, below the line categories, and I think because Dolomite is going to struggle with that, that is going to put that movie at a disadvantage. <sighs> yeah. Well, what beats it then for costumes? I'm sure you're going to have Downtown Abbey. You know, uh, uh, Downtown Abbey's not going to win costumes. I think you may have. Uh, is there a period piece this year? Little Women, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, how many times are we going to give uh, the Oscar to le- like that style of costuming? You know, does, San- does Sandy Power have a film this year? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you know, if Sandy has a film in here, it's like okay, chances are she's going to be highly favored. You know, this category does like to give uh, the same people. Uh, the award over and over and over again. Sandy Powell's movie, by the way, is The Irishman. Okay, so yes. I think if there's room for it to build momentum, I think its strongest place is like the Golden Globes. Oh, I I would not be surprised if Eddie Murphy won the Golden Globe for this. Yeah, I would I would be upset if it didn't get nominated for Best Comedy. Yeah. Oh, I think it I think it stands a really really good chance. What's the best comedy? How many comedy films are, are, do we have this year that's going to be in contention? Well, I mean that's the thing. They released the the list recently, and it was slim pickings. I mean, you have this. Jojo Rabbit, Jojo Once Rabbit. Upon a Time in Hollywood, th- those those two are definitely going to be in there, probably. Mm-hmm. Is Once Upon a Time considered a comedy? Yeah. They put it into comedy, which is hard because now that means Eddie Murphy's going to have to go up against Leo. Yeah. But yeah, they love Leo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, just to probably get him up on stage and so forth, but... Uh, you know, I still think Leo's not totally safe to, you know, to get him because everybody's been talking Brad Pitt all this time. Yeah. I'd agree. Yeah, I, I kind of share that sentiment as well. But I could see a world where Dolomite is my name gets uh, Best Picture Comedy Musical nomination along with uh, Eddie Murphy getting in for the actor comedy musical. Um, I could see a world where if there are six, yeah, I think it's six. Six nominees, a Critics' Choice, and Best Actor. I could see a world where Eddie Murphy gets in there as well. Yeah, if you're going to go six, which is what Critics' Choice does, you know, six or seven, yeah, because I think force, if you throw in Leo as a guarantee, then that just leaves one slot available if you do five. If you go six, you know, he could definitely get in there. Yeah. Definitely getting in there. Yeah, yeah. For optics, at least. Well, if not that, the critics, if not that, the critics' choice will put him in best actor in a comedy. Oh, gosh, you're right. They will. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't want to, like, like I said, I, I don't want this to be, like, cynical or negative for this film because I am actively, like, rooting for it. it it's just, you know, you also got to remember, like, in terms of Netflix's priorities mm-hmm. this year, it's like Irishman, Marriage Story, Oh shit! The two popes is like being better received than we thought. We all right now. We got to push this. So now what? What we need to do is we need them to also recognize 
Uh, like you were saying, Wilson, t- considering this movie was trending worldwide on Twitter all throughout the weekend, we just need that buzz and momentum to sustain, and we need them to look at Dolomite as my name like they're looking at the two popes right now. You know what I mean? But I think Dolomite will have much more of an advantage because people are seeing that. I think with the two popes, you have to ask yourself, where's the wide audience going to be for that? You know, it's like it's Jonathan Price. It's definitely not. That spell millennials watching it, and it's about the pope. It's about the church. You know. It's going to get its biggest writers, from, you know, from the critics, you know, and, and it's Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price has never really been seen in that sort of lead role before, whereas you have Eddie Murphy, you have Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, you've got De Niro, you know, and Netflix will go all out for the two posts. The question is, it's like, okay, outside of the press, you know, where's the base for it, you know? You start asking, you know, I'd like to see whether or not this movie, the two posts is going to be trending once it airs on Netflix, because... You know, if it's the theaters, you know, I'm sure it may do a pickup if you play like the Angelica. Like, I want to see what kind of numbers it does when it plays on Netflix. That's how I feel too. Absolutely. You know, Wilson, uh, I know that you said where is the wide audience for the two popes, but it sounded like where is the white audience for the two popes? And I thought like, <laughs> there's, the, there's the answer to your question right there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> where is the audience? You know, it's like, hey, you know, uh, like I said, you know, and then there's the question of like all these movies that Netflix has. You know, somebody's bound to write the negative stories about Netflix and its tactics. The question is, which movie, which of these four movies is going to suffer? You know, they're going to come after Marriage Story. They're going to come after Irishman. You know, as far as what's what's their flaw? You know, because every film has a flaw. Yeah, I mean, you know, we know Kevin Feige's not voting for Irishman for Best Picture. You know, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I get what you guys are saying. There's knocks against everything right now. Priorities are all over the place. But one thing at the end of the day that nobody could take away from Dolomite is my name is that they made a good movie. And that's awesome. Uh, Strip away even if it was good. (laughs) They made a movie. And I love that message of this film. I really, really like this film a lot. And I'm glad that we all had a chance to talk about it here. Wilson, uh, this is your chance to tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet, where they can find your work, how can they support you. The floor is yours. You can find me over at blackfilm.com, saying where to use on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. This is what we do. You know, we try to we cover all films. Obviously, we'll place a little bit more emphasis of people of color in front and behind the scenes. Uh, you know, there are obviously those names like Eddie Murphy, which is spell, okay, we know these people, but I also like to promote other individuals that we may not hear about it because, you know, as we know, the trades won't always pump them up first until it's like 20 years later. <laughs> yeah. All right, Josh, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Lauren? You can find me on Twitter at Lauren Lamango. And I am Next Best Picture. And fucking up motherfuckers is my game. <laughs> Had to throw it in there. Had to throw it in there at some point. Absolutely. But seriously, you can find me doing all that and everything else at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Dolomite is My Name here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback there. Rate us five stars. Nothing less than that. Leave us a comment. We appreciate it. And also remember to Patreon for $1 minimum a month under next best picture you will get some exclusive podcast content from us thank you so much for listening as always we shall see you all next time
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> so, no. Right.